KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. FTX, what a mess. The first thing I thought about when FTX collapsed, maybe we're in some sort of cryptocurrency-induced time warp. Maybe we're back in, like, the early 1900s during the days of bank panics. I think there's a pretty good comparison between what happened then and what's happening now. That's John Sednoff. Like a lot of people, he's invested some money in crypto and now is left trying to make sense of how FTX fell apart. Billions of dollars gone in a matter of days. FTX did not have the liquidity on the asset side of their balance sheet to meet the liquidity needs of the liability holders, of the people who have deposited there. Sednoff is also an associate professor of finance at Villanova University, so he's got an analytical take on all of this, too. We're talking about people who put tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of their life savings and converted it to cryptocurrency, and poof, it's gone. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, the FTX debacle. What went so wrong so fast? What the past can teach us about the present and a look at crypto's future. To set the table here, and for people who aren't really invested, no pun intended, in cryptocurrency, kind of explain what FTX is was maybe one day will be again but give us kind of the ballpark definition of ftx sure Uh, so ftx straightforwardly is a cryptocurrency exchange so it functions just like the stock market would function in, in in a way where it's they're acting as an intermediary to bring together people who want to buy and sell cryptocurrency and so if you have us dollars or british pounds or euros whatever you want to use and convert that into cryptocurrency by Bitcoin, by whatever, you're able to do that through FTX, uh, or were able to do that through FTX. And, uh, and, and yeah, and, and they also, you know, can serve as w- with some custodial services as well. So if you want to store your cryptocurrency somewhere, you can also do it there and keep your keep your currency with them. At the end of the day, FTX functioned, you know, a little bit more than just an exchange in the sense that they also kind of allowed you to have your currency stored there, which then presents some of the issues that we now see as they have difficulties supporting withdrawals and and supporting their customers in that way. So what happened that this fell apart and they've had to declare bankruptcy and the founder resigns? What happened? Yeah, uh, <laughs> lots of things happen, but <laughs> the biggest, I mean, so the biggest issue that you have with FTX is, you know, effectively, again, they're, they're holding all of these uh, cryptocurrencies for their clients. When you operate in such a way, you're, you're basically guaranteeing liquidity for the people who are, you know, deposited with you, for lack of a better word. They're not deposits in the sense that you'd think of as a commercial bank because they're not insured. There, There's no FDIC, there's no regulator here in the sense. But you nonetheless have these cryptocurrencies deposited at FTX. And when you want to withdraw them, the premise is you can withdraw them. You can take your money out, whether it's to you know, sell that cryptocurrency and convert back to US dollars or whatever and bring your money out of the of the exchange, or if it's even to take your Bitcoin or your Ether, whatever, whatever else it is, and extract it to your own cold storage off exchange, 
so that they are not holding the currency for you, you have this this liquidity, right? And so the implication is it's your money, you can have access to it whenever. But like any institution, like a, a bank would have to do, the exchange needs to stand ready to meet those liquidity demands for the people who are trying to you know, withdraw their money when it happens. A, t- a traditional bank would you know, have access to buying liquidity through federal funds markets. They would have access to their own stored liquidity with cash or treasuries. And there are regulatory requirements that force a traditional institution to stand ready to provide liquidity on demand. And if all that fails, then there's the FDIC. There's backing for traditional banks uh, that provide these services, not as much so for you know, an investment bank like Lehman or somebody that we went through. But with a commercial bank where you're guaranteeing this liquidity, it's there. And so you know, FTX on their side of things did not have the liquidity on the asset side of their balance sheet to meet the liquidity needs of the liability holders, of the people who have deposited there. And at the end of the day, they have a largely illiquid balance sheet. Not that you know necessarily the value wasn't totally there, but to exit some of their positions and investments would require probably a haircut to do it. And so they have a largely illiquid pool of assets, a very liquid pool of deposits or liabilities. And when everybody starts to try to withdraw at the same time, it's effectively a bank run and they don't have the ability to fund that in bulk. And that gets you to the point where you're effectively insolvent because you can't meet your uh, your your liability holders' needs. So you mentioned the FDIC. Would this be similar to what we saw with banks in the early 20th century, in the 19th century, where there'd just be a, a run on the bank and there just wouldn't be enough money for everyone? The bank fails. They put a sign in the window. Sorry, you're out of luck. And that was it. I think there's a pretty good comparison between what happened then and what's happening now. And and I kind of, you know, in some ways view the evolution of the cryptocurrency space as kind of, you know, people are are relearning some of these hard-learned lessons from the past hundred years, you know, again. We know about bank liquidity and we know about financial crises and bank runs, and that's not to say that we haven't had bank runs and crises in the you know the mainline financial system over time but we do you know kind of know how to regulate commercial banks and backstop liquidity and regulate for liquidity provision and that's not there in this space and so you have yes the propensity for bank runs to happen or runs on these types of institutions to happen and on top of it you tend to see this spillover where a bank run at an individual institution can become kind of a bank panic and it becomes more widespread and rumors of insolvency anywhere start to trigger runs at other institutions. And, you know, so there is concern about spillover now with FTX. If you look at crypto.com has experienced uh, some widespread withdrawals. Genesis, which is another platform, has had some difficulty. BlockFi has filed for bankruptcy. Coinbase, which is publicly traded, if you look at their debt, their publicly issued bonds, those are trading at, I think what I saw this morning, something like for a 2028 bond Coinbase issued 
they're trading at about 51 cents on the dollar with spiking yields. So that's indicative of the market's perception of risk within this space of spillover and other people having difficulties. Not to mention that you also have earlier issues from back, you know, in the summer and the spring where Celsius failed and Voyager was another one, uh, had had difficulties. And so it's just kind of been this one after another domino effect of some of these um, crypto institutions experiencing difficulty and stress. And now everybody's, I think, kind of thinking, okay, we, we need to, if I'm on an exchange and I still have access to my crypto, I better pull it before something like this happens to me too. Is this criminal? Is it incompetent? Is it lack of imagination that bad things can happen? What bucket would you put this in? Or is it not really capable of being placed into one bucket? Is it a lot of different things? I think it's a lot of different things. And we'll, we'll let regulators and other people who have their hands in that in that area to judge kind of legality and everything else. I, mean, I, I can't I can't really comment on that. But I do suspect that there are, you know, clearly maybe some risk management issues here. And, you know, again, when you think about how you're constructing a balance sheet to support the offering of liquidity to individuals, that's difficult. And, and you know, one thing that happened to FTX is, you know, and, and many exchanges, they have this proprietary coin. So FTX has this coin called FTT, and individuals were able to invest in those. And sometimes on these exchanges, if you buy the exchange token, you get extra benefits. Maybe, you know, you pay lower fees when you do a transaction, things like that. And the point of that is it's it's access to liquidity because the the exchange mints all these tokens. They sell some of them. They keep some for themselves. And these tokens gain value as the exchange's prospects increase. And so the token that the institution is holding, that FTX would be holding of their own stock of FTT, they could resell that, sell some of it if they need liquidity. But what that doesn't account for is the potential that if there is distress, the FTT coin or the proprietary coins can lose value tremendously fast. You know, if you're trying to sell your own proprietary coin for your own exchange that's failing, you know, nobody wants to buy it. And so one of your mechanisms for generating liquidity kind of falls apart. You know, I, I would characterize a lot of this as potential, you know, risk management issues, thinking about, you know, on top of the need for cash and using the exchange-based tokens, also what's happening with the investors' funds and where those are going. We know also that FTX has kind of allocated quite a bit of funding to venture capital group that was associated. Those investments are really illiquid things. That creates further difficulties for when the time comes that, you know, I need cash, I need to sell assets to fund withdrawals. If I have stuff that's illiquid, it becomes very difficult to raise money from those assets quickly and for their full value. And so there there are a, a confluence of issues that happen here. A lot of them come in the file of you know risk management issues. We need to take a break. We will have more with John Sedinoff right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with Associate Professor of Finance at Villanova University, John Sedinoff. 
it seems like one of the drawing points of the whole world of crypto was the lack of regulation and it's a new frontier and you know financial freedom and all these buzzwords that get thrown around and that's great when everything's fun and everybody's things are going up but it seems like there is a complete lack of imagination that things could go bad and we've kind of seen that you mentioned the earlier problems from earlier this year and now this there's a reason things are regulated and you kind of talk about relearning those lessons it feels like People are getting hit over the head like, well, there's a reason why we do this. And it might be onerous. It might be a lot of red tape. But now do you kind of get it? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I so I, I agree that one of the selling points of the cryptocurrency space is the lack of regulatory touch. And I think maybe brought more broadly than that, the lack of a central bank. And so a lot of people, if you look at what's gone on in the past couple of years, you know, we've had an unprecedented run of very low interest rates in the United States, expansion of the money supply, COVID happens, the Fed's balance sheet just, just goes gigantic. And so, and, and these are things that the Fed and that the regulators kind of had to do during COVID when, when everything happened in March, 2020, I'm not disputing that, but when you enact these types of policies, you you do have the potential for having to pay for it later, which we're doing now with inflation. And this is frustrating for people. And I under, totally understand that. So you don't have a central bank with Bitcoin or with other institute with other cryptocurrencies. So nobody can just go out and print a bunch of it and change the supply. That has positive things, but there's also drawbacks because when you can't print money and you can't enact policy that makes it difficult to manage economic difficulties and, and, and problems. But I think the issue here is that you have this approach to decentralized finance, which is what cryptocurrency should be pointing to. And all this decentralized finance idea kind of goes away when you centralize it with exchanges that are going to sit and hold a bunch of people's money in it, you're kind of centralizing this previously decentralized finance. And when you start to develop these mega institutions that hold a whole bunch of people's money, then you start to get into areas where you can experience large losses and difficulties like we're seeing now with no little to no regulation. Now, in some ways, this space has maybe moved at a pace faster than regulators can keep up with it. That's one thing. Secondly, you know, these a lot of these firms are headquartered outside of the US. So that also may limit the regulatory oversight that can happen for them. And so at the end of the day, it is a feature of the system to not have as much regulation and oversight. But also when you have that, you take on the risk that there's not a safety net. There's not a, you know, kind of a first line of defense to prevent this from happening in the first place or try to. And there's not a safety net at the back end for when things do go wrong. So yeah, uh, it kind of is a double-edged sword, I think, in that way. Who gets hurt the most with this? Is it people that have gone all in with cryptocurrency? Or is it people that dabbled, didn't understand what they were getting into, thought it was cool? 
Or when it's all said and done, will it be people that had no idea that they were in this, but somehow their pension fund, whatever, because I saw that FTX's bankruptcy, I think it had like a million creditors, you know, and that's not going to be all hardcore crypto people. Do we kind of understand who's going to get hit the most with this? At, At its face right now, we certainly are seeing not just with FTX, but also with Celsius and other of these incidents that there are people who went as you said, all in, took their life savings, converted it to crypto, and trusted these exchanges to keep their their cash safe. So right now, at least right now, it seems that those are the individuals who are most clearly hurt by this. And you have people, I mean, we're talking about people who put hundreds of, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of their life savings and converted it to cryptocurrency and poof, it's gone. And again, no safety net, no deposit insurance, nothing like it. Uh, when when you talk about the volume of creditors that FTX has, and again to that extent other institutions, but you know FTX was a was a really big one that made it easy for people to enter the crypto space. And Coinbase is another one that's the same kind of a situation. It became very easy if you think about where crypto was. You know, seven or eight years ago, um, you needed to have a lot more knowledge about what you're doing to actually buy and sell cryptocurrency. But now, it's download an app on your phone, link up a credit card, link up a bank account, show your passport, and you're you're good. And you can just easily convert back and forth from your bank or your credit card to cryptocurrency. So I think you know what what happened was, uh, and and why you see this volume of people. You know, when when March of 2020 happened and COVID happened, all of a sudden there's a bunch of people sitting at home with nothing to do. And we saw the rise of the retail investors. We had the whole thing with GameStop, with Wall Street bets on Reddit, and that's persisted a bit over time. And Robinhood was the big story and all that. And you had people who suddenly who were, you know, not in the stock market now all of a sudden in the stock market at different levels. Some people even on Robinhood lost their life savings because of their exposure to risk on that system. But that's not a failure necessarily of Robinhood. It's a failure of people not maybe not knowing the risks of options investing or whatever. But nonetheless, it's it's this push towards making it much easier to get involved in these types of services, whether it is buying stocks easily on Robinhood gambling from your phone, which now in Pennsylvania, we've been able to do for a few years, or buying cryptocurrency on your phone. And, you know, to to the extent of people making this a hobby from the pandemic era, and now kind of rolling with it, there's a lot of volume in terms of number of people. Not every one of those millions of people have tens of thousands, or even maybe even thousands of dollars, right? You know, some people may have been looking for coins that were undervalued or new and looking at as a lottery ticket. You know, if you'd held Bitcoin from when it was 0.000 penny, you know, nine pennies on the dollar, you're doing well now. So it's all like a lottery ticket, right? You have people at various levels of investment here. There are, again, certainly people who are just crushed by this. There will be a list of all the creditors that emerges from this, and we will have a better sense of who um, is owed what. Um, so to the extent that there are institutions invested with FTX, we I, I don't fully know the extent of that. I would presume 
that larger institutions would bring their coins off exchange because they would have the capacity to hold them themselves. But we don't fully know at this point. Um, but we do have, you know, on the individual level, clear examples of people who have been greatly impacted by what's gone on here. What is the future? Because the future I see for crypto is more regulation, more treating it like your run-of-the-mill financial institutions. But then it would seem to me a lot of the draw, a lot of the shiny object part of crypto goes away because then it's just another thing along with my mutual funds and stocks. And yes, I can diversify, but it's not the it's not the cool space anymore. Does it have enough draw to just be another aspect of someone's portfolio? Does it completely collapse within a couple of years because it's not this wild, wild west thing? I mean, what do you think? I think that in large, in the big picture, the future is blockchain. And that is not necessarily cryptocurrency. Blockchain has a vast array of really useful and important implications for the future, for processing transactions and settlements, for record keeping. There's a list of things that I think blockchain technology could be really beneficial for um, helping. Now, as far as cryptocurrency itself goes, I don't know. I, I don't know where where this goes from here. Certainly, when these situations happen, this gets to the point where there are spillover effects from the institutions like FTX to then not only are individuals who are have a large balance at FTX impacted from this, but if I hold Bitcoin in general, I'm impacted because it's also has a downward impact on the prices of the currencies themselves. So whether this system, whether cryptocurrencies continue to be really large scale, important financial instruments 10 years from now, that remains to be seen. Whether there is there's likely to be some consolidation, I would think, in the cryptocurrency space where a few will emerge as top cryptocurrencies. There are also some that have you know, utility on their own and are linked to certain systems. Ether might be one of those ripple. So as a as an as an asset class, yes, I think cryptocurrency is probably heading for more regulation. Cryptocurrency, we'll see where it heads in the future. I think the like I said, the big picture is the technology, the blockchain that can come from it. I also see coming forward central banks creating digital currencies, digital dollars, digital yuan in China. That's already been piloted and rolling out. So I, I would expect to see as the public becomes more comfortable and there's more people who are more comfortable with paying for stuff with digital currency on their phone, we might see central banks start to roll this out. Certainly they will do it, I think, in the payment space between institutions and settlements. But we will see if this rolls out to the larger crowd of individuals um, from from the central bank space. So, I, you know, I think that's where we're kind of heading with all this stuff, but this all changes very dramatically and very quickly <laughs> all the time. So we will see. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. 
You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.